0: Hey, hey, what's going on everyone? Welcome back. This is part two of a podcast where I talk through uh, nine different insights that I had while I was away in upstate Northern California, unplugged from all the crypto Twitter sphere for about 30 days. Um, You can go back and listen to the previous post where I went through takeaways one through four. Uh, Today I'm going to go through takeaways five through nine. If you like this podcast format uh, would love any input, would love any questions or comments. Um, I think sometimes it can give you a little bit more color or detail than just reading a short post on my sub stack. Let's jump in to some things that I've been thinking about at a very high level, zoomed out view of crypto, which was part of my experience. Of taking some time away. I started to think more about the bigger picture, not the short term market movements. Even though I am structurally bullish for where we are in the market, I'm thinking on a longer time horizon. Where will value accrue to new businesses in this uh, new kind of uh, technology that is developing? So here is takeaway number five. Takeaway number five is. All of us today that are building brands, that are building companies, need to always be incentivizing. Now, the mechanism for marketing in Web 2 was to be gathering attention, to do things that gathered attention. The way to get attention in Web 3 is through incentives. The genius of the structure of Bitcoin, the genius of the burn mechanism and the tokenomics of Ethereum, the genius of DeFi protocols that are getting massive value locked in them, is they've provided a monetary incentive. So whereas Web three or Web two had this massive, um, you know, development and growth in the social space where we were exchanging status with one another as a way to get our friends onboarded to these new social apps. Web3 put this on steroids because it was about money. Web3 took status and money and paired them. And user adoption happens through incentivization. So the mechanism of marketing in Web3 is to continually think up, how do I incentivize my user base? How do I incentivize them to share, to sell, to buy, to remix, to vote, to contribute, to earn, to stake, to LP, to farm. How do I incentivize my user base continually to stay invested? And I think that Ethereum moving to this EIP-1159 burn mechanism where the supply of Ethereum is actually decreasing over time. They added this. They upgraded the protocol to add this burn mechanism for a variety of reasons, However, the tokenomics of Ethereum, because they're burning the new issuance of ETH, making Ethereum more valuable to the holders, they added a new marketing and incentive mechanism into their protocol, and it's going to lead to more user adoption. Immediately after passing this uh, burn update of EIP-1159 as a proposal, and it was actually implemented, the burn became this new marketing mechanism, the burn became this new narrative that emerged in the Ethereum world that started bringing more people in. Suddenly, there was these burn dashboards of how much ETH was getting burned. Really, it was a way to not only add better incentives to holders, hey, we're actually going to be decreasing the supply, therefore increasing the value of your Ethereum. It also gave them something to talk about. So thinking through incentives long-term incentives, short-term incentives, new incentives that you might add with the business or protocol that you're creating is incredibly important for protocols and companies in the future. Uh, There's another area of crypto that's emerging, which is reducing the take rate of the marketplace towards zero. So Apple famously takes 30% of anything that goes through the app store well, the incentive structure, the way to always be incentivizing or incentivize uh, your user base to switch from Apple is to drop that take rate to 5%. And so there is an incentive um, demand almost on on the market to continuously develop better incentives for users to do all those verbs that I discussed earlier. What is takeaway number six? Takeaway number six is if five is always be incentivizing, takeaway six is always be exiting. One of the most important use cases in crypto is liquidity. And by liquidity, I mean the ability to cash out, the ability to get value in exchange for the value that you create now or in the future. And crypto gives Think think about how much liquidity crypto has given to artists. There are all of these artists who've maybe been producing these amazing images for Instagram, right? Photographers, designers. They've been posting to Instagram for free, maybe somewhat monetizing through selling prints. And suddenly with the NFT, because of the scarcity that they can create, they've given themselves liquidity. There are photographers who are selling one of one's of their images as nfts and getting liquidity getting capital for the value that they've created Uh, you can also get liquidity of your your uh, gaming assets maybe you've taken a long time to build up some armor some swords some weapons in a game you can exchange them now in a marketplace and get capital back so the point is because crypto gives you liquidity with any of the items that you own with any of the value that you create, more immediate liquidity instead of waiting, we're gonna be bringing that to the idea of exiting and exiting a company. So if you're an early employee at a startup, you are locked into not not being able to have liquidity for your shares until the company exits. So liquidity is just something that happens potentially at the end. Maybe you go public, maybe you get bought. That is when the founders get liquidity. In the crypto world, because tokens are put on sale publicly at such an early stage, almost like at the Series A stage, you can get liquidity earlier on in the life cycle of the business that you are building. And so I think what's going to continue to happen as this plays out in the future is that it is not the case that we will just have this one-time exit event, this one-time going public event. That we're so accustomed to, and instead there may be many opportunities to gain liquidity to get to exit along the way. So takeaway six is always be exiting, always be selling chips off the table, always be rotating those chips into something else, always be taking liquidity when you can. You can basically continuing to raise money, right over and over and over again, giving the contributors liquidity after liquidity event after liquidity event. Takeaway six: Always be exiting. I think it's going to shake up the tradition, the traditional idea of what an exit can mean. Takeaway seven: DAOs are clearly the next corporate structure, and we are in the experiment experimentation phase of what a DAO uh, really means and what it looks like in a strategy that's actually effective. Now, what does a company look like without a leader? That is the question that a DAO poses. What is coordination? of thousands of people who are not employed by a company, but still contributing in some way or another to an organization, that is another question that DAOs are asking. What happens when you open source the building blocks of your business so that anybody can build on top of it like a truly open platform? That is a question that DAOs are asking us. We don't know the answers yet. We're not sure exactly what it's going to mean, in what DAOs will look like as the next corporate structure. We just do know that they're the new framework for how we're gonna coordinate capital and labor to produce value. The last thing I'll say about DAOs is that they blur the lines. If you're a part of a DAO, you might be an employee, an investor, a delegate, a mercenary, a contributor, Um, you know, we have these very clean lines in the Web 2 world of I'm an employee, I'm an investor, or I'm leadership. I'm I'm a founder, an employee, a contractor, or uh, an investor. In the DAO world, in the Web 3 world, you might be all of those in one. You might be participating. As an investor, because you hold shares of the DAO, you're also voting, you're also a mercenary by being a contractor in a specific area of the DAO. Um, And so all of these terms might blur in uh, what the corporate structure of the future looks like, which is the DAO. Takeaway number eight, multiple identities will be the norm. I think there's probably at least three core identities that we will build for ourselves in this new on-chain metaverse world. Uh One of those identities might be social, your friend group. Another one might be work, which is your work reputation. And the third is your personal identity, your true identity, your real name, who who is on your birth certificate. And three is probably the minimum that we'll see in the future. You're going to have all of these different pseudonyms you use in different games, maybe you have a different pseudonym for different companies, Uh, but the reason I use these three is the way that we'll get on-chain verification and tracking such that we can trust each other is that we need some type of record um, of the contributions we've had in forms of work or um, ways that we've participated or, um, you know, built some reputation in a game. Some of those things we actually will benefit from them being tracked. So your on-chain resume will provably show, you know, how long you worked with a different uh, DAO or company, how involved you were, maybe how much money you made from that, and that on-chain resume resume will be used when you're looking at potentially taking on a new work opportunity. Uh, you might have a, a gaming identity that has a history of your gaming track record, and then of course. Ultimately, there's this base layer identity of what your name is, your birth certificate when you were born. Um, and the last thing I'll say about this is that zero knowledge proofs allow us to verify your identity or asset holdings without actually giving away specific details that you would want to be in public. And that uh, innovation, you can YouTube search for zero knowledge proofs, is a core component of identity in the future. And that'll be very interesting. Now here's the last takeaway, uh, before I do another podcast like this, maybe at some point in the future. And that is that activist shareholders are gaining power. I wrote some last year about GameStop. And, you know, what I thought was interesting about GameStop was what it meant for politics. It meant suddenly people not only can have a political view, but they can vote on it coordinated with capital in a way that they can change something in the market. And that short squeeze that was performed by the people who coordinated through Reddit of GameStop was a very interesting activist group coordination that I think hinted at a lot of what was possible in politics to come. Now, what happened this year? Well, there was Constitution DAO. There was a group of people who raised, you know, 30, $40 million in Ethereum to buy the Constitution. Again, these activists shareholding to make a difference, to make a contribution, to make something happen. Um, and I thought that was a very interesting event that, again, we should be paying a lot of attention to. So the two kind of takeaways here, the first is all of this will probably move into the political realm, um, which is going to be both very interesting, um, maybe really great, sometimes very scary, but when people can coordinate with capital, in very quick ways, as we saw with Constitution Down GameStop, I think we'll see some very interesting things happen, you know, with the crowd, with the mob, but in the political sphere. The second thing is uh, the way that companies exit, the way that they, um, you know, will sell in the future. It's a lot easier to be an activist shareholder when you you are basically investing on chain um, and voting in governance and proposals that are happening within the protocol so i think there's a, there's a big difference coming to gov- um to corporate governance you know i think about mark zuckerberg and how he basically has 51 percent ownership and, and runs the board etc i just think that is like totally the opposite of what things will be like in the future you're going to have many different parties with many different incentives all um you know essentially kind of either coordinating or going against each other when it comes to governance proposals for what something means about the future of a DAO. And I think that's really going to be an interesting thing to track is corporate governance because I think it's just going to be very different in the future. It used to be such a small board. Um, you know, obviously you've got your public shareholders, but I think now you're going to see a lot more activist, uh, shareholders taking action to sway the direction of both politics. And where public companies or, uh, these public cryptos end up going. All right. So that was the, uh, takeaways five through nine that I've had recently from my, my trip away. If you're enjoying this as a podcast, let me know. Uh, feel free to comment, you know, send me an email back. If you have any questions, maybe you have any thoughts, maybe you have pushback on some of the things that I've described for you. I'm always curious to hear that. And again, I am, um, exploring. And advising with companies in the space. And this is my way of formalizing some of these theses in a way that I can share with you, uh, whether it's around cryptos that I'm buying or just something I'm seeing and how that relates to brand building or marketing or the creator economy. So thanks so much for being with me. And I will be back again very soon. Later.